Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He's probably in pretty good shape. I think he, you know, he runs a tight ship. So... I thought you meant like he was working out. That too. I mean, he, we saw him working... What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Q&A. For our first question, Leftist Hominid asks how the beat-up Outer Rim Imperial Remnant has access to TIE Interceptors and Bombers, and Commander Popcorn wants to know when or if the show will introduce the First Order. I thought these questions paired well because we're talking about various factions of the Imperial Remnant, and as far as we know in the Aftermath trilogy, this might change. Like, right now, it's kind of all a mess. But the aftermath, yeah, as it usually is until a TV show or a movie clears it up or another book. But aftermath set up this idea that after the Battle of Jakku, some of the Empire went off into the Unknown Regions and then became the First Order. Some of the Empire stayed behind and became warlords like Bo-Katan mentioned. Uh, I would assume Moff Gideon is one of those. But what about this faction with... Too many TIE Interceptors uh, for a Warlord. Mm. I, I don't think that is part of the beat-up, like, dirty Stormtroopers that we saw in Episode 1 of The Mandalorian. I think this is a new faction. I think it's probably building to Thrawn. Yeah, I think these are Thrawn's boys. And I think that's what is on the side of their ships. <laughs> Thrawn's boys. Thrawn's boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were a lot of them, and... Why are we to assume that there aren't a lot of them around? Well, I, I think that this is just something that Bo-Katan hadn't seen before. Mm. So her being like, yeah, the, the TIE Interceptors, and there's too many of them to be a warlord. I feel like this is a new experience that the warlords that stayed in the galaxy, that I, I do keep thinking back to that first shot of Stormtroopers from the first episode where it was like, They've seen better days, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's what's happening with Thrawn. We don't know where he's been with Ezra and the rest of his fleet that got taken off to who knows where with the Pergil, but they may have just been out there surviving, and uh, maybe they are are still very fanatical about the Empire. Yeah. Well, there's planets out there like Exegol that got has all kinds of ships on it that nobody knows about. Exactly. So, so Thrawn may could, have his own little planet. <laughs> they could be anywhere. Well, uh, well I, I, that that's a good point because of Corvus we saw in season two that mm-hmm. he is building something like that's. I, I assume he's building up more machinery, star destroyers, tie interceptors, tie bombers, etc. Yeah, and like we saw in this most recent episode. The, the Star Destroyer was in this junk shipyard thing, but they were still taking pieces off of it, and who knows what they're doing with that stuff. Yeah, like, I wonder if these are Star Destroyers that at one point helped. I mean, it's it's interesting to think this is five years after everything, so I, I don't think they were still building Starhawks at that point, which was a ship that was like a dismantled Star Destroyer rebuilt into a New Republic ship. 
Um, I think they're probably done building those. So there's there's just all these ships lying around, and it's not just on Coruscant. Coruscant seems like a strange place to have your scrapyard anyway, but I bet there are ships like, or uh, planets like Bracca that have Star Destroyers as well. Yeah. That Thrawn could go in and take some of those. But yeah, I kind of get the sense that Thrawn in general, despite what happened to him nine years ago, he's probably in pretty good shape. I think he, you know, he runs a tight ship. So I thought you meant like he was working out. That too. I mean, he, we saw him working out against uh, those DT Sentinel droids in Star Wars Rebels. So he's probably super swole. (laughs) And I, I bet after nine years, he probably rebuilt his fleet. Uh, I bet the Star Destroyers that were damaged by the Pergil have been repaired, and then he's probably making new ones. Yeah, he's a smart guy. I think he could wrangle up quite a few ships if he wanted to. I like that. He's a smart guy. Yeah, that's kind of his thing. Yeah. (laughs) As for the First Order, I don't know if we're... I think Jon Favreau at one point said that they were going to start to get into that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm skeptical that we're going to go far enough that we see like a First Order Stormtrooper in mm-hmm. this series. Same. I, I'm not expecting to see it or hear about it, but I mean, we know that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. So when we see shady stuff happening, like we saw in this episode with Dr. Pershing and uh, what was her name? Elia uh, Kane. Elia. 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 Kane. I've been calling her Kane because that's easier. Kane. Yes. Uh, she's up to no good. So <laughs> there's there's a lot of that going around, and that's eventually going to lead to the First Order, but I don't know if we're going to get there anytime soon. I mean, it depends on how long this show goes for. Yeah, it's confusing because there are multiple Imperial remnants. And it, so one is off in the Unknown Regions, as far as we know, and then one is like Thrawn. And then I think uh, you could consider another one, just all the various warlords who bickered amongst themselves. Right now, I think that we're just going to deal with like the Thrawn remnant. I think that's what we're building to. I don't think he's part of the First Order. I don't think he's building to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't think uh, maybe maybe Pershing's experiments were for that. It's like we don't know, like, is Gideon in league with Thrawn? Is he not? What are all these factions doing? It's very up in the air right now. Yeah, and like I don't imagine they're gonna do anything in regards to Snoke when Thrawn is there, and we don't, we haven't even seen him or heard about him or seen what he's doing yet. So Thrawn is gonna be the big bad for a little while, and then who knows about Snoke? Yeah, <laughs> Pershing's experiments might be for Snoke or for Palpatine or for both. We we just don't know yet. Uh, I just don't see Thrawn being part of the First Order, first of all. So I think that the First Order might be something that if the series continues on past Thrawn, we deal with that later. But right now, five years after Jedi, I think it's way too early to even start thinking about having a First Order Stormtrooper show up. In the book Star Wars Bloodline, which takes place like eight years before The Force Awakens, Leia is just starting to hear about something that sounds like it is the first order eventually Mm -hmm. so and and they might change that book stuff because there is precedent for that i hope they don't but to me i'm like that's way down the line and we might see like you said just little hints of what's to come but i don't think it's going to be 
explicitly shown like, hey, there's the First Order, and it's only <laughs> seven years after Return of the Jedi. And and we know how Favreau feels about timelines, so... Uh, yeah, that's true. All of that is TBD. Oh, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a great point. <laughs> Lil God asks if Bo-Katan is interested in joining the cult or not. I kind of think she is right now. Like, not full on. I, I think she's probably on the fence, but that last shot of her looking at the Mythosaur skull on the wall ties us back to what she saw, and I'm like... I don't want her to join the cult. I think it's an interesting development. I think she wants some Mandalorian friends to hang out with. <laughs> oh, she wants some friends. I mean, she just lost her home again. She yeah. lost all of her friends. Her uh, ancestral home was bombed and destroyed. So she's kind of just feeling lost. And then all these people are like, hey, you haven't taken your helmet off. You took a dunk in the mines. Like, come hang out with us and like, welcome. We're glad yeah. you're here. I think she still thinks all their rules are silly and like is not psyched about all of that. But because she didn't say anything to Den about the mythosaur and she had that moment at the end where she sees the skull hanging there, she sees how this group is formed and like how they're building power. Mm -hmm. They're all very loyal. They're all very like into the code and into tradition. So in the back of her mind, she's like, well, if I can't have the dark saber, <laughs> I can go get that mythosaur and then everyone will follow me. Right. I, I do think that there's yeah something about the mythosaur that she has plans for. And I think that the cult she thinks is something she can use. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, I, I do think she might have a new understanding of them because she's like, oh, wait, all the old legends are real. There was a mythosaur down there. So she might be rethinking some things, I, I think, she, but I don't see her going all in on being a child of the watch. But I also think this opens doors to, and this kind of gets into our next question, so I'll save it, but it, it kind of opens doors to explore some of her past Ormappa wants to know if the writers forgot Bo-Katan was part of Death Watch. Absolutely not. No. There's no way. Like, this feels like uh, the the same thing as going like, wait a minute, did the writers just forget Pre Vizsla took his helmet off in the Clone Wars? And then we got that answer a season later. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that they're doing something similar with Bo-Katan. And I'm, I'm anxious for them to reveal that as well. To, to people who haven't seen the Clone Wars, I think it'll be really interesting. But she kind of sort of joined. She's been accepted by the children of the Watch, and that has to be connected to Death Watch. And she was a part of that. So I think this is now an avenue where we could explore that a little bit more. The armor could straight up be like, oh, I remember you. Mm -hmm. You and Pre Vizsla hung out with us all the time. <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, for a while there, I was like, maybe they're just not going to bring it up because we weren't sure how involved Bo-Katan was going to be in this story. Mm -hmm. Now that she's pretty involved, uh, I think it'll come up. I don't know to what extent they're going to go into it because it is a pretty risky move, I think. Like it's, it's giving her a really dark backstory that 
might be i mean maybe it'll be good for the show but i don't know how far into her time in death watch they're going to go into into does that make sense (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how far they're going to go into that part of her life because the more they do that the more like an enemy she's going to look like and a very bad person well i mean i i think that's an interesting part of her character and the fact that I don't think they have to go into it because at this point in her life, we've been through Star Wars Rebels and her journey there was uh, much more of the light side. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think that this latest episode was kind of about regression. And I mean, we saw uh, Dr. Pershing like wanting to work with the New Republic, but also wanting to go back and finish his research for for the greater good sure but like he just wanted to do it for him i think Mm -hmm. and i kind of get that from bo katan as well that she's like i tried to do everything right Mm -hmm. and that didn't work and now the children of the watch seem to be cool with me so maybe she'll go back into old ways i hope not for the greater good of mandalore Mm -hmm. now that she Mm. thinks it can be saved, and she could rule with her mythosaur pet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which I do think that that's a funny idea in her mind, that she's like, okay, I just need to get back to Mandalore, get back through the dangerous mines, and... She didn't have any problems with those mines. Yeah, I know. But then, then she has to figure out how to tame a mythosaur. Yeah. Like, that, like that's just something, uh, oh, just that's on my to-do list. Maybe that's you know? another plaque somewhere that she knows about. It's like, step oh, yeah. one, sing it a it. song. Step two, feed it cookies. It's on Skillshare or something. She's just got to watch a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> yeah. Dog training videos. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? Well, I, I was going to say, because they brought up the fact that her family was royalty so many times... I wonder if they're just going to run with that and say that, okay, she wants to rule again because she was royalty. And now that she knows that some of those myths are true, it's going to make her want to take back the throne. I just don't know how her history in Death Watch is going to play into it. Yeah, I mean, I think they can be a little loosey-goosey with it because live-action audiences, hey, it'll be interesting to see if they do how people will react to that and be like, wait a minute, she was kind of a member of the cult in the past but i don't think they've explicitly made the death watch connection even though we saw them in season one uh i don't even think they called them death watch yet in live action so there is that they they still need to connect it but i'd be interested to see that reaction i also don't think they need to go into that time she helped uh, massacre a village like no, I don't yeah. think they're gonna go into that. Probably not. But I, I think it, it is worth exploring her being a part of that militant group and her own issues with she's like, Mandalorians just need to stop fighting each other and she's ignoring the part where she used to do that. So I, I think it would be worth bringing up. I, I want her and the armor to have a heart to heart because the armor can go into if she does in fact know all about Bo-Katan's history. She can go into all that and we can get a flashback. Yeah. Kyle Barrett asks, what will happen to AZ-3 if the Batch never go back to SIDS? I didn't even think about that. And I I am guilty. I feel guilty that I didn't remember AZ-3 is still at SIDS parlor. 
I think he'll take over the parlor and she'll be in so much debt that she can't. They just switch switch places. Yeah, that she she can't be the owner anymore. She's in too much trouble. Sid's like a crime lord in the back, but still like, <laughs> hello, I'm AZ three six two one four one six, having to deal with like Malegi, and he's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna own the bar now. Like I I hope something good happens to him, I, and I will be sad if we don't get any closure for him, and he's just stuck with Sid because. He's from Camino. He helped them escape Camino. He saved Omega's life. I was just glad to see that, like, okay, he's still around. He's hanging around Sid's parlor, but now they've left that. And I feel like he will be lonely without them. We still haven't seen the droid bar that's going to sh- pop up somewhere in Mandalorian. What if that's his bar? Oh, I like, I'm not begging for these two shows to be connected but but that's a fun way to do it if he were to like take over and own his own place yeah he got all that work experience at sid's parlor and then he's like i can do this for myself yeah noah olsen wants to know if the acolyte will reference any of the events of the high republic books i really think it will yeah i think in order to like introduce the show Either they'll have a crawl, which I don't know if they'll do that, but a crawl or like some kind of prologue that will definitely talk about the High Republic and what it is and what happened. Yeah, like I I think that they need at the very least like a solo style crawl where it's just the blue text at the start and it says like 150 years or or however long the show takes place, 100 years before the Clone Wars uh, was the High Republic. But I think that they could very easily and casually mention the great disaster and the Nile and the fall of Starlight Beacon. Events that were from the books, events that we read about that helped shape this era, they can mention them in the show just like Obi-Wan name-dropped the Clone Wars and A New Hope. It's just like, oh, remember Starlight Beacon and the tragedy that happened there and everyone will be like, ooh, what's that? And then... This time, instead of in 1977, where they're like, I wonder what that is. <laughs> oh, well. Now it's like, I wonder what that is. Well, you can read it right Aha, now. Ah, smart. Yeah. <laughs> so I-, I think that there probably will be some fun little connections throughout the show. Slash, I hope. Shaq Fu says, quote, It's 3.22 p.m. on April 8th. You're rushing to make your panel on the other side of the building. You look to your left. Garrick Hagan and Timothy Oliphant are doing pictures together, and their line is kind of short. Garrick even made brief eye contact with you. Do you stop? I did sit and think about this for a few minutes. And because you said that there is a line, I would not stop. (laughs) Alex is too good for lines. It's not that. It's more that if I'm rushing to the panel, I would probably look at Garrick and scream and just be like, oh, like I, what could have been? But then I would rush off to the panel like that's mm. i've been late to a panel at celebration before just because i got lost and it, it's oh yeah it, it's easy to get lost and that was in uh orlando or no it was in chicago uh but for this the if there were no line then it's a question then i feel like people would understand <laughs> we just yell out timothy Garrick, come with us, quick. That's true. Maybe, and they can be our guests. Maybe I convince them to, <laughs> to come onto the panel with us. Yeah. It's, it's time for a break, And by convince, break, right? I mean kidnap. 
<laughs> I just pull and just like grab their hands and be like, there's an emergency. Come with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to meet Garrett Kagan, there is a way to do that. That's true. Sunday night. I didn't night. even mean to do this. I didn't ah. mean, I genuinely just liked the question. I'm just good at my job. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, Sunday night, there's going to be an event called the Cantina 2. And there's going to be a bunch of cool people there. Garrett Kagan being one of them doing like a meet and greet signing thing. So maybe you would get to hang out with him there for a little bit. At least meet him. That, well, I mean, again. I hope so. We're going on that hope. <laughs> yeah. We'll put links uh, down in the description for the event. Yeah, we've got uh, graphics and stuff as well that I can give you. But yeah, that is Sunday night, I believe, um, from like 6.30 on. And it, it sounds like a blast, and we'll be going. Matthias Saberman asks if the Darksaber should belong to Bo-Katan after wielding it in Chapter 18. I don't really think it works that way in her head. Like, d in my mind, whoever wants the Darksaber should use the Darksaber. If they need it, like, share the power. Yeah, you d just sign sign in. Yeah. <laughs> put, your, put the time, the date. And check it out. Check it out of the Mandalorian library. Yeah, and then you gotta you gotta bring it back, mm -hmm. or else you'll get late fees. Yeah, and I bet they're real bad they're for bad. the dark saber. They're real bad. Yeah, it's basically like Bo-Katan's gonna stick them at the sore on you. Uh, yeah, well, she's got to learn to tame it first. Yeah, uh, I mean, so Din still has it. Everyone at at the covert, I assume, knows that he still has it. Bo-Katan probably thinks she could just take it at this point. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, she, she's much better with it than Din is, but does she deserve to have it over him? I, oh, we're going to get to that in the next question. But yeah. I wanted to just talk about the way it transfers. And obviously, she picked it up, wielded it fine. There's no actual power in winning it by combat other than being able to say you did. Mm -hmm. So... Because she didn't beat Din in combat, no, the Darksaber does not belong to her in her mind. And we we don't even know how Gideon got a hold of it. In my mind, she surrendered it to him after the destruction of Mandalore. That's my headcanon for now. But mm. no, just because she won a combat with the Darksaber, I think she would have kept it if she believed that it were hers. Yeah. And we don't even know how things are going to go. Now that Din truly believes that he's been saved in the living waters, he might be able to wield it a lot better now. That's true. We haven't seen him uh, using it after he took his little dip. I love that he woke up coughing dip. and he's like, I'm redeemed. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I did it. You didn't even remember Thanks it, man. Thanks to no one but me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of feel like if... Bo-Katan had insisted on keeping it even after beating the droid cyborg thing. Din probably would have said, oh, okay, great, thank you. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think he wants the Darksaber. In season two, he was like, would you just take this, please? And she was like, no, I can't. Mm. So, But I don't know if he has changed his own attachment to the weapon. I mean, yeah, it, maybe he thinks that he'll be able to wield it easier after this and still if not maybe then he'll be like all right you can have it yeah it's not I, for me <laughs> i, I kind of think that if she asked for it right now he would say it's yours hmm. be like 
no, fight me. I've been redeemed. I'm healed. <laughs> yeah. I'm stronger now. I'm at my full strength, my final form. I know what everything is. That's a Jedi. <laughs> That's a bench. That's a <laughs> Jedi's droid. Droid? 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 Droid. Are you okay? <laughs> no, I'm not. Ashley Smith wants to know who is the most worthy wielder of the Darksaber. So, and I, I wanted to include, uh, oh, careful, that's me. heavy. It's heavy. Not for me. <laughs> well, you do look kind of like Bo-Katan. <laughs> so I, I wanted to include not just the the main cast of this show, but someone who's probably going to join it soon, Sabine. Anyone who's anyone who's ever wielded it, or anyone who hasn't, who do you think is worthy? Mm, I think Ahsoka could be worthy, but why would she want it? Right. I guess we should keep it to Mandalorians. Okay. That Sab makes more sense. Sabine, yeah. I, yeah. I loved her episode. Yeah. Two episodes, three, four, five. Her episodes <laughs> about the Darksaber. Uh -huh. specifically trials that episode where she learns to wield it that one's great i need to rewatch rebels so badly because <laughs> i don't remember so much about that show yeah. and sabine um but i still am like rooting for bo katan obviously after that after chapter 18 we know she has no problem using it she's good with it she's got history with it it just depends on if she wants to use it for good or for evil. <laughs> I think she is on team good now. I hope. I hope she continues down that journey. Um, I will be happy, thrilled even, if Bo-Katan winds up with it. But I do think the show is leading us to believe it's Din. I think he is the most worthy right now. Sabine, also super worthy. But I think yeah. the show is, he the fact that he can't wield it, and he doesn't even want it. Like that's such a reluctant hero trope mm -hmm. that I, I think they're trying to point us towards. I just, I think Din needs. He's got so much more growing up to do. He's so confident in his ship. Like we saw them dogfighting, and he was doing all those cool moves and stuff. I need him to be that confident in other ways exactly like not just falling to the bottom of confidently the, stepping off the edge of a cliff <laughs> drowning himself not like just jumping into like a firefight because he's got beskar like i need him to be more confident just period i mean i think that is part of his journey he's kind of just been bumbling his way through everything and like I, I think it'll happen. We'll we'll definitely see him in the end, I think, in a good place. But the journey there has been bumpy. Yeah. I mean, we, we've mentioned Indiana Jones a lot the past few months because of the Bad Batch mostly, but also the past three episodes of The Mandalorian. Like, he is a very indie-style character where he's just making stuff up as he goes, mm -hmm. and he hopes for the best. And, and sometimes he does amazing things, and sometimes he gets knocked on his butt. And a lot of times it's his own fault. And he gets <laughs> cheated out by people like Pelly. Mm -hmm. Like there's that, or like I mean, the Jawas beat him in episode two. It's, I mean, they they had uh, much higher numbers, to be fair, still, and a Sandcrawler. Still, like if you think about you know everyone's expectations of what this show would be going into it, it's like oh, a Mandalorian, a badass fighter, and it's going to be so awesome. And then in episode two, it's like. He got beat by a bunch of Jawas. <laughs> and like, I remember episode two being a big adjustment 
for me, just being like, okay, this show is not what I thought it was going to be at all. Mm. Uh, and that's okay. And that I, it surprised me. He does, he does have moments of like seemingly dumb confidence where like, what if flying inside the mouth of a crate dragon didn't work out? Exactly. It probably would have. He At least he thought so. And it did, thank goodness. But we don't know. Well, I like that he's... Has, has he done that before? <laughs> I like that he's kind of a 50-50 split here where it's like episode one, he was just awesome. Episode two, Jawas beat him, Mudhorn beats him. Episode three, he does everything he can to save the child and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it just goes back and forth and some days... He has a great day, and some days uh, he gets knocked around a lot. Which I think is good. I'm not saying he shouldn't take risks anymore, but I just want there to be a better balance between him having more confidence to use the Darksaber, to mm-hmm. lead, to do this or that, and to also be able to improvise and yeah. fly into the creature's mouths. I, I think we will see him gain that confidence. The The reluctant leader becomes the, like, oh, I can do this. You know what would get a, give him more confidence? Showing everybody that pretty face. Aw. <laughs> Daniel Brown asks if it's possible Grogu could wind up as leader of the Mandalorians. Hey. I was kind of expecting you to bring up Grogu in the last question. Because, <laughs> I mean, I think he is a Mandalorian. Yes. But I don't... He's so lil. He sure is. If it were like one of those situations where it's like the one ring where the Darksaber would shrink down to his size, then sure. But it's a little like he would definitely have to use both hands. And even then, he can't even wrangle an an Anzellan. So I don't know that he would be that good with it yet. But they they point out that he may have had some training with a lightsaber at the Jedi Temple. Uh, He did... I don't know if I would call it taming a rancor, but he at least calmed a rancor, so he mm-hmm. has some abilities there. I don't think that's the story of this series. I don't think we're going to see Grogu grow up enough to be leader of the Mandalorians, but if we were to jump hundreds of years into the future and we learn that the Mandalorians are being led by... <laughs> that would be kind of a bummer. Like your Mandalore would be alive for nine hundred years, and you're like, mm. I guess we're still following him. But I see him as more of like a high council member, or like a I don't know if they would for call... Mandalore. Yeah, or I don't want to say shaman, but like just someone who is old and wise, and ye- like if we jumped years into the future, would have known mm-hmm. all this history starting with his adventures with Din, Bo-Katan, and whatever happens in between all that. Yeah, so, like an advisor to the current Mandalore. Yeah, and like, maybe not like a stuffy historian, but like a cool, cool guy that like knows like a lot. A, like a cool professor. Cool professor, with yeah. patches on his sleeves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you he's know still the got one. the in one. Uh, yeah. It's in great shape. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I do like that idea. I I don't think Grogu will ever be Mandalore. I also would be very open to the idea of Mandalore, like the leader Mandalore going away. And mm-hmm. that maybe everyone will just share power. They'll share the Darksaber. They'll share the Mythosaur. They'll unite everyone from the top down. 
and be like, hey, we all see things differently, but we can, like like you said, a high council. We can mm-hmm. have a council of Mandalorians. Yeah. And we all discuss and it'll definitely what's go best for all of us. Better than the Jedi Council. For sure, yeah. Councils work 100% of the time. Yeah. That's all the time we have for questions today. If you want to leave a question for next week's video, just put it in the comments below or sign up for Patreon to join our weekly Q&A discussion. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And as always, thanks for watching and may the force be with you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.